Wow, that was intense, wasn't it? Anybody on the edge of their seat right now with that intro video? That was pretty awesome. That'll wake you up in the morning. In fact, I probably, I'm assuming that some of you need to be woken up this morning, right? This has been one of those weeks. It's kind of that time after Christmas and before school starts again where a lot of you probably are kind of still in vacation mode. I'm sure many of you took time off this week. You've been relaxing. In fact, I'm willing to bet that some of you need waking up because this is the first day in a while where you've actually showered and, and worn something other than PJs. Am I right? A lot of you look really relaxed. It's good. It's a good thing. Good to spend time with family and relax. I enjoy when I get to do that. Didn't do it enough this week, but uh, looking to plan some vacation a little later this year. But you know, the best sign of being really relaxed, in my opinion, is when you don't know what day it is. Isn't that a great feeling, right? When you're just, you have time off and every day is kind of blending one to the next and you're like, what day is it this week? Like, what day is it today? You don't know. That's such a wonderful uh, amazing feeling. Sometimes that, that feeling that of ignorance as to what day it is, it's blissful. But it isn't always blissful. There are times where it's not a good thing. There are times where it's actually a stressful thing. Have you ever had some sort of obligation or responsibility that you were tasked with, but you forgot what day it was, and so you missed out on that, and then you realize that you were supposed to do something, and, and, and you realize it was all because you didn't know what day it is? That's not a relaxing thing, right? That's actually a stressful anxious thing. There are times where that happens often for people. If you ever forgot an anniversary, that doesn't go over well. For me, I know uh, one of the things that I've done before is I didn't realize what day it was, and I've missed a really important meeting. And I hate that feeling. It's a terrible feeling. It is not blissful. It is not good. It's terrible. It's terrible. Sometimes when you forget what day it is, it can elicit anxiety and stress and even panic. See, there are times in life where we need to know what day it is. There are times in life where we need to be aware of the time and season that we're living in. And this is especially important when it comes to discerning the times and seasons that we're living in in the Bible. It's especially important then. See, this past year, 2020, it's been an interesting year. I know we've talked about it enough times, but with all the stuff that's happened in 2020, right? It's just, just a crazy time. It's a year full of conflict and division and corruption and violence and disease and disaster. Crazy. And this coming year, 2021, this is actually going to be my 10th anniversary being at this church, which is crazy to think about, 10 years. 10th anniversary being at this church, uh, only five as the lead pastor. But, and of all the years that I've been at this church, I know I've been asked a few different times you know, questions related to uh, the end times and stuff like that. But this year, this past year, 2020, I would say more than all the other years combined since I've been here, people have asked me a series of questions. They've said to me, do you think that we're living in the end times? They've asked the question, do you think that this is the beginning of the end, Pastor Joe? I've had people ask me the question, are we living in the last days? This has been the question. So many of us are unaware of the day that we're living in. And when it comes to something like this, like the, the, the topic of the Bible, this can be a scary feeling, can't it? With everything going on in the world. It's scary to not know what day it is. In this context, ignorance is not bliss. It's scary, it's concerning, it's frightening. And so because of that, I want to take some time this morning to answer one really important question, and this is it. Are we living in the last days? Is this truly the beginning 
of the end? This is the question I want to answer this morning. You see, the Bible actually does describe for us an interval of time known as the last days. Those three words in English, they're found five times in the New Testament. And I I believe they describe a very specific time. And so what we're going to do is through this series, which is beginning this morning and for the next four weeks to follow, we're going to look at every reference of the last days, that statement, those three words, found in the New Testament. And Lord willing, that's going to provide a framework for us for the rest of the series. We're calling this series Living in the Last Days. And just a little disclaimer, I know we did this online, but I want to do it here in the room. And for those of you tuning in, if anybody here is hoping that this series is a kind of series where we're going to go into the Bible and I'm going to have some sort of code that I decipher to predict all the events of the future, you are going to be really disappointed. That's not the series. Uh, This series is going to be far more practical than that. It'll be informational and Lord willing, it's going to bring some clarity and comfort regarding the future. So that's what it's all about. That's what our series, Living in the Last Days, is about. And so if you're ready to join me as we jump into this series, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers. Numbers is in the Old Testament. It's near the beginning of your Bible. The books that Moses wrote. So you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And as you're turning there, I want to do two things. First of all, I want to make some introductory statements for our series. And then what I want to do is I want to give us some context so we know where we're at in our Bibles when we're beginning in the story of Numbers. So by way of introduction, let me just start by saying that this sermon series, I think it's one of, yeah, I think this is maybe the second time I've done it, but one of the first sermon series that we've ever done here that focuses on a topic, a theological topic, which is known as eschatology. Now that's a big word, right? Eschatology. What does the word eschatology mean? Well, the prefix eschat, that would be a, a Greek word, which is the Greek word eschatos or eschaton, which literally just means final or last things. Okay, so that's where it comes from. from comes from the Greek. And then you guys all look smart. You've heard the suffix ology before, right? If you ever went to high school, you had a biology class. You've heard of people who study rocks, geology, right? All that means is the study of. Okay, so if we have the prefix, which means last things, and the, the suffix, the study of, what we're talking about is the study of last things or final things. And so really to say the word eschatology, which is what we're talking about, it's a nerdy way to say all the stuff that the Bible says about the end, the things that the Bible has to say about the last things in Scripture. And so that's our series. That's what we're focusing on. And just so you know, the the topic of eschatology, theologically speaking, it's very diverse, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different views. It can be controversial at times, uh, well debated amongst Christian circles. And so let me just say that throughout this series, I may say some things that you may disagree with, okay? But I want you to know We can still be friends, all right? Are you you good with that? We can agree to disagree and still be friends. I'll still like you. I hope that you'll still like me because this is one of those topics that it can be disagreed upon. Uh, We would call this an open-handed topic. It doesn't mean it's not important. It's important. But this is not uh, bearing on our salvation, okay? This is not did Jesus rise from the dead. That's an important topic. We cling to that topic. We hold that with a closed hand. This is an open-handed topic, which means we can have some disagreements. We can have some different opinions. And so what I'm going to be uh, proposing to you through here is, a, a, again, it's a nerdy thing I'll say here. It's, it's an inaugurated eschatology. And throughout the series, I'll explain that a little bit better. But you may disagree with that. But I just want you to know that as we kick things off, this series is all about the last things. It's all about eschatology. So that's my introductory statement. That's one. Now, I want to bring us some context for where we are in our Bible. So we're in the book of Numbers. How many people here think the book of Numbers is their favorite book of the Bible? Anybody? I've never heard anybody say that. 
It's misleading because it's called Numbers, and Numbers are boring. But the book is actually really interesting. It's a great book of the Bible. Uh, pretty awesome. It's a page turner, that's for sure. But just to give you some context of where this is at in the Bible, let me just give a, a quick recap, okay? So we'll start from the very beginning, but I'm moving fast, right? So the beginning of the Bible starts in Genesis. God creates everything. He creates humans. He places them in a garden, Adam and Eve. He's hanging out with them, walking and talking with them in the garden. God has fellowship with humans. His presence is with humanity on the earth. It's perfect until Adam and Eve screw stuff up, right? They sin, they break God's commands. And so as a result, uh, they're exiled. They're, they're kicked out of the garden to the east, which is a common theme throughout the Bible. And then they're, they're taken out of the presence of God and they're there to dwell in the land. And then the story continues and we have the story of Noah. And eventually we get to a character named Abraham. Now, Abraham is a guy that God sees and he chooses. God wants to hang out with Abraham. He wants to get to know him and have a relationship with him. So he chooses Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You don't have any kids, but I'm going to make you into a a huge family that is as many as the stars are in the sky. That's how big your family is going to be. And I'm going to take your family and I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you and through your family. And so Abraham's family, they settled in this land called Canaan. And there they started to grow. And eventually, if you ever heard the story of Joseph, uh, they end up going to the land of Egypt because there's a famine in the land of Canaan and they need food. And so they move to Egypt. And that's where the book of Genesis ends. And then it picks up in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, we discovered that the, the new Pharaoh who's established, he forgets who the people of Israel are and he doesn't like them. And so he starts treating them harshly because they've grown so big. And so what happens is they're now subjected to the Egyptians. They become slaves in a foreign land, in the land of Egypt. And eventually the people, they're groaning and and crying out to God in slavery. And God hears their cries because he's chosen uh, Abraham and his family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the people of Israel. He's chosen them. He hears their cries. And so God raises up a leader, a guy named Moses, who God has a special connection with. God enables him to do amazing things. And uh, in the story, if you've read through the Exodus story, what happens is eventually uh, God has Moses go to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. So there's all these plagues and signs and wonders that take place. And eventually uh, Pharaoh lets the people go reluctantly. They travel across the Red Sea on dry land because God parts the water. And there they end up in the wilderness and they've been rescued from slavery. And so now they're marching around the wilderness. And at the second half of the book of Exodus and through the book of Leviticus, we hear that God gives them laws and rules and regulations for how they're to live and compose themselves. And he gives them instructions uh, in the wilderness. In fact, he has a cloud by day that guides them. His presence is with them in the wilderness because there's a pillar of fire at night that he guides them as they're walking. And so God is with them, although it's not the way he was with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's more limited. But God's with them, and then God begins to say, hey, I want to dwell among my people again, so I'm going to have you establish a thing called a tabernacle. It's a tent we're going to set up, and basically my presence will reside there. And so at the end of the book of Exodus and through the book of Leviticus, we hear about this tabernacle that's being constructed so that, again, God's presence can dwell with his people in the center of the camp. Now, it's limited. Not everybody can just stroll into the tabernacle and say, hey, what's up, God, like Adam and Eve could. They'd be struck dead. Only special people at special times could have access into God's presence. It's the way it was set up. And so that's where the book of Numbers picks up. We've just had the people enter into the wilderness. The tabernacle has just been established. And so now that we have some context for where we're at, we're in Numbers chapter 9, beginning right now uh, with verse 15 in a second. Now that we know where we're at, now that we know where the story's at, I want to begin by describing to you a time period that I'm calling, number one, the past days. The past days. These are days in the past 
when God made promises for the future, and we're going to see some of this. So notice what God begins to reveal that's taking place in the book of Numbers in the past days. It says, on the day that the tabernacle was set up. Okay, so this is the day that that tent where God was going to reside was completed. It says, the cloud covered the tabernacle. That's a a symbol of God's presence. The tent of testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. So if you see what's happening here and, and you know the rest of your scriptures in the Old Testament, God would often demonstrate to his people that he was there, that he was present with them by using visible signs. So here he's using a cloud during the day, which covers the tabernacle. And at night, it's a pillar of fire. In fact, fire is a very common symbol of God's presence throughout the Bible. So remember Moses, when he's first commissioned by God and he encounters God in the wilderness, where does he encounter God? Burning bush, fire. And the people of Israel, I talked about this, as they're being guided through the night in the wilderness, God shows up in this pillar of fire. And now here, we just read that when the tabernacle is established at night, if people wanted to know where God was, they would come out of their tent. They would look over at the tent that God had said to establish, the tabernacle. They would see the fire over it at night, and they would know, oh, God is dwelling among his people. Make sense? This is what's happening. So fire is a very important symbol of God's presence. Store that in your mind, okay? And remember that the tabernacle was a place where God would dwell, but it was limited. Only special people could go there. Only special people could encounter God. Now, the other thing that's important to know about the past days in the Old Testament was that sometimes God's presence would also rest and reside with people, but it would be for a limited time, and it was only special, select People And God's presence would be with them through the person of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, there's a dude uh, in the Bible whose name is Bezalel. He was the guy who helped craft all the amazing artifacts that were set in the temple. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God, it, it, it was poured out on Bezalel and filled him to be able to make those amazing things, those uh, pieces of the temple. And so the Spirit came with, to, to him for a short period of time, limited, and then left him, but so he was unable to do something special. Another person who had the Spirit was Moses. Moses. A classic example comes two chapters later. So if you're in uh, Numbers chapter 9, just flip over two chapters. Numbers chapter 11. Uh, what's going on is the people are in the wilderness, uh, and they get hungry, right? Actually, they get more of a craving than a hunger because God has been providing their food. One of the amazing things in the story of, of how the exodus and how they go through the wilderness is God provides for them every day for food. He actually rains bread down from heaven. He gives them free manna to eat so they can be nourished on their journey. It's an amazing story, but the people, after a while, they get sick of manna. They don't want to eat the manna anymore. They want, they want meat. They have cravings for other food. And so what they start to do is they start to complain to Moses because they don't like the free food, hear that, the free food that God is giving them. And Moses is like, you guys are crazy. This is free food. Kind of reminds me of my kids, right? This last season, 2020, um, I think it was a federal thing, but the public schools offered free lunch to all the kids. So we thought, hey, free lunch, it's there. This is our year. Kids, you're having hot lunch every day. Now, there were many days where the kids saw the menu and they complained about the free food that they got, but I reminded them repeatedly that free food is delicious, right? Free food is the best food. And the fact that they're complaining is ridiculous because it's free. So just eat it. 
And this was Moses' issue. He's like, you know, you, God is providing for you and you're complaining. You idiots, what are you doing? And so God goes, or Moses goes to God and he says, man, these people, I can't deal with them any longer. They're complaining about the food that you're giving them. I want to quit. And so what God does is he says, Moses, no, hold on. Let me try to reassure you that we're going to work through this. And let me try to ease your burden a little bit. You've been working hard for me. I've given you my spirit to do this work and, and lead the people. I want to try to delegate some authority to some others. And so notice what happens in uh, Numbers chapter 11 uh, with God helping out and reassuring Moses. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel and bring them to the tent of meeting, and I will come down and talk with you there. And notice what he says. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you. That's the Holy Spirit that God has given to Moses. And I will put it on them, on the 70 elders, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. So if you notice what's happening here is God's presence has come to dwell with Moses through the Holy Spirit, and and he's the select individual who's received the Spirit. But now also there are a few other leaders there, well, the 70 elders, who are going to share some responsibility and authority. And so God is also giving them some Spirit to them as well. So now they have some of the Holy Spirit. And if you keep reading the story, eventually these elders, they begin um, prophesying and do these things, and Joshua's wondering what's going on, and he's questioning what's happening. And Moses says, no, this is a good thing. And in verse 29, Moses says, you know what? I wish that all God's people could enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit. Moses says, it would be so amazing if at some point God's Spirit would be poured out upon all, all of his people. I want to pause there for a second. I want to just think about that. This desire that Moses had, that all of God's people could have something of the presence of God with them, in them, through the Holy Spirit, that's an amazing desire. And that's picked up through the prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, there are many people who long for that. In fact, more than longed for it and desired it, there are many of the prophets who expected a coming day When God's people could receive the Holy Spirit, all God's people, it was an expectation for the prophets. It was a hope that they had. And there are various prophets who who, who made prophecy concerning it. So in the story uh, with the prophet Isaiah, he spoke to God's people and says uh, that this is a, a message from the Lord that the Lord gave him. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This is Isaiah's promise, his expectation. In the book of Ezekiel, we have another promise, another expectation. This is connected to the new covenant promise, where God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice the expectation that maybe, perhaps, they believed God one day would give his spirit, his Holy Spirit to all people. And then this is picked up most famously probably here in the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, he makes a promise and he says this, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So this is, this is the expectation in the past days. In the former days, The expectation by these prophets, by people like Moses, was that in the future, God would send his Holy Spirit and and that all God's people would be recipients of this Spirit. This is the promise that that they had for the future. 
And so in the past days, through the prophets, God made this promise that his presence would come and be available. It wouldn't be restricted to one place, the temple. It wouldn't be limited where only certain people could experience it. No, all God's people could receive the Holy Spirit. The promise is that all flesh, all God's people, would be poured out on all God's people. And if you know your Bibles well, you know when this prophecy was fulfilled, don't you? It was fulfilled in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, chapter 2. So now I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Acts, chapter 2. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor Joe, we just spent three months in Acts, and you want us to go back there. Yes, I do. It's an awesome book. I, I can't stop. I love it. But also, it's important to go to the book of Acts because the very first reference to the last days is found in the book of Acts. And so that's where we're going to have to begin this morning. So Acts chapter 2, you remember the story, right? Acts chapter 2, the basic premise here is Jesus has just risen from the dead. In Acts chapter 1, he commissions his disciples. He says, hey, hang out here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send that promised Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Acts chapter 2, they're hanging out in Jerusalem, waiting for the promised spirit. It's the day of Pentecost. It's a big festival. So lots of people from all over the ancient world, Jews, had assembled that day to celebrate the, the, the festival of Pentecost. Lots of people are there. And as they're waiting, all of a sudden, miraculously, they're, they're there and the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. It's the sound of a mighty rushing wind. The Spirit comes and indwells these disciples, and then something rests over their heads. What's over the disciples' heads when they receive the Holy Spirit? It says tongues of fire. Wait a second, fire. What's fire a symbol of again? God's presence. Just as Moses encountered fire, and experienced the presence of God at the burning bush, just as Israel experienced the presence of God leading them through the pillar of fire at night, just as the tabernacle, when it had God's presence there at night, had a a pillar of fire over it. So the disciples, they have tongues of fire over their heads, which means, catch this, if I've, I've lost you at any point, come back to me right now, catch this. No longer is God's presence restricted to the tabernacle or later the temple. Now God's presence resides in his people, which means this. We are the temple. We are the tabernacle. As God's people, we have his presence. We have his spirit. We're the dwelling place of God, which means in the old covenant, during the old sacrificial system, in the past days, That covenant is rendered obsolete because something new and better has arrived. There's a new covenant which has been established through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And under this new covenant, we are the temple. We experience the presence of the living God through the person of the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in us. It's incredible. This is what Luke is trying to tell us. And so this is an amazing moment in history. And in that moment, the crowds, they begin to gather because there's such a commotion because the the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in these languages. And so people show up, they're trying to figure out all the commotion. And in that moment, Peter, he stands up empowered by the Holy Spirit and he begins to tell this amazing sermon. And what he does is he starts by quoting prophecy from the past days. And he quotes that famous passage from the prophet Joel. But when he does this, he does something scandalous. Or he... He changes his own translation of what Joel said, and he makes it his own. 
He changes the introduction to, to, to Joel's promise. And notice what Peter says on the day of Pentecost. Instead of saying, and it shall come to pass, Peter says, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So do you see that? In the last days. So we've already talked about the past days when God made promises through the prophets that he was going to do something incredible with his presence in the future. And now I want to talk about number two, the last days. The last days. So according to Peter, I have a a controversial question, but I'm going to ask it. When does the last days, when do those take place? According to Peter. When are the last days? They're when God poured out his spirit on all flesh. When did God pour out his spirit on all flesh? It happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. So what does that mean for us this morning? Well, I think biblically it means that the last days have already started. The last days have already begun, which I know is kind of controversial. Some people right here go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, it sounds like heresy to me or whatever, but right? Some people are like, you know, the last days are something in the future. The end times are something in the future. The end of the ages, that's the future. But biblically speaking, and that's really what I want to focus on here. I don't care what other people say. I care what the Bible says. Biblically speaking, the last days, the end times, they've already started. Biblically speaking, the end of the ages have already begun. It's already arrived, which is why you can check this yourself. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. The Apostle Paul, he says to the audience there in Corinth, he says, the end of the ages has come. It's arrived. See, in the Bible, there are past days when God, through the prophets, had promises for the future. And in the Bible, there are also last days when God began to fill those promises to his people. The last days started at the first advent or arrival of Jesus. And so when Peter says, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, that's a promise that God has already fulfilled to us. It's a promise that God's presence would be with us, that God's spirit would no longer be limited to a special place, the tabernacle, where only certain people could access it, or special people like Moses or the elders. No, now the presence of God, the spirit of God has been been given to all of God's people. What Joel predicted in the past days has come true today, in the last days. And so if we go back to our question, are we living in the last days? Biblically speaking, I would have to say, yeah. Absolutely. I see this in the text. We're living in the last days. These are the last days. And we've been in the last days for a while. It means that your grandparents were living in the last days. And their grandparents were living in the last days. It means that Abraham Lincoln was living in the last days. It means that Christopher Columbus was living in the last days. It means that Shakespeare was living in the last days. Napoleon was living in the last days. The last days started with the first arrival of Jesus. That was the moment when God began to fulfill all the promises for redemption that he made in the past days. And in fact, if you look back at the prophecy of Joel, you'll see something, though. Right now you're going, okay, Pastor Joe, what are you trying to say? What I'll say is God began to fulfill all his promises at the first arrival of Jesus. That's the beginning of the last days. But God hasn't completed all those promises yet. You see, there are promises in the Bible that are yet to be fulfilled. 
And if you look at what Joel said, and you go back to that quote that Peter made, you'll see that there are some things here that, that are not yet complete. So let me just go back to the text here. It's just a little confusing, but I'll try to explain it simply. So this is the whole quote that Peter made from the prophet Joel. And other than the intro and a few words, it's basically the exact same quote that Joel made. He says, and in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And we'll keep going. It says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and even male servants and female servants. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, you might get getting weirded out by all the dreams and visions and prophecies. So let me just stop there for a second. First of all, just notice the scope of who receives the Holy Spirit. It's everybody. Young men, the young, the old, men, women, male servants, female servants, these are slaves. All of God's people receive the Holy Spirit. And if you're weirded out by the dreams and visions and prophecy, just know that in the book of Acts, that actually all is coming true, right? Because we know that Peter had a dream, right? The pigs in a blanket dream. We know that Paul, he had a vision, the Macedonian vision. We know that Agabus showed up twice and he had prophecy. And so all this stuff that Peter is quoting, it was being fulfilled in the last days, beginning at this time. But then he continues, and notice how the language gets a little bit different. So it continues and says, and I will show signs and wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And now we're going, all right, whoa, what's that all about? The moon turned to blood. That sounds really creepy, right? Anybody who's read the book of Revelation, it talks about that. What's that all about? This sounds weird, right? Well, what I want you to focus on is the beginning of this prophecy. Peter talked about in the last days. But at the end of this prophecy, notice how he doesn't talk about the last days anymore. Then he begins talking about a day, singular. One day. He calls it the day of the Lord or the great and magnificent day. So here's what I'm proposing to you. I know it's been heavy. There are past days when God made promises concerning the future. There are the last days when Jesus ushered in the the fulfillment of these promises beginning to usher in. He inaugurated uh, the beginning of of these promises. But we're still waiting for something in the future. It's the last day. And this is the third section I want to talk about. The last day. Are you confused? Hang in there. You see, the Bible speaks of a last day called the day of the Lord, or as Joel and Peter say, the great and magnificent day. According to the Bible, this is a period of time in the future when Jesus will return. It's a day that that Jesus will consummate all of his redemptive work in creation and fulfill it. It's a time when God brings final judgment on the earth. It's a time when believers are given new bodies. It's a time when God will establish the new heavens and new earth. It's a time when we'll experience the the fullness of God's presence. We're going to be face-to-face with Jesus forever. That's a day that we await and we look forward to. And so in the Bible, the language of the Bible, this is how it works. There are past days which are behind us. There are last days which we're living in when God began to fulfill his promises to us. And there's a last day that we look forward to. This is the biblical language used. This is the plan of God revealed to us in Scripture. And so in light of all that, let's tackle that big question. When people ask the question, Pastor Joe, the world is crazy. Seems like it's falling apart right now. Are we living in the last days? I think we have to respond by saying yes. Yes, we're living in the last days. We are. 
These are the end times. This is the beginning of the end. I believe that. But this is not a license to start freaking out. Okay, hear me. This is the beginning of the end. This is not a license to start freaking out. If you leave here this morning and you immediately go to Kroger, and if you buy all the toilet paper at Kroger, please, something is wrong with you. Stop buying all the toilet paper, okay? It's not even a biblical thing. There's no like in the book of first hesitations, and thus you shall buy all the toilet paper and the end will come. No, stop buying the toilet paper, people. Please. Things are bad. Yeah, I uh, agree. This country is facing challenges. That's to be expected in the last days. We're going to talk more about that in the future, in the series. But ultimately, living in the last days isn't something that should cause us to panic and start freaking out. That's not what I see in the text. If your eschatology is encouraging you to build a wall to keep your neighbors out, or if your eschatology is encouraging you to stockpile your ammunition and put it in your bunker, then we're reading a different book. That's not what my book tells me. It's not how it tells me I should live in light of the Lord's return and in light of the last days at all. I don't read that. It's not meant when we talk about the last days to have us begin to elicit the spirit of fear within us. No, it's meant to elicit joy and encouragement. You and I are blessed to be able to live into the last days. This is an amazing privilege that we, of all people, can live in the last days Man, Moses, he looked forward to this day and he said, man, that would be so amazing if all God's people could experience the Spirit of God. We experience it. We live it out. We're living in the last days. We're so privileged. We're so blessed. I love Jonathan's story in the beginning, right, about picking up the hitchhiker. That's us. Jesus says, hey, man. He pulls over and says, you guys want to hop in? You can experience my presence now. That is amazing. We are so blessed to be living in the last days. You and I don't have to drive to a temple and then talk to a priest and encourage them to advocate for us so that way they can experience something of God's presence as we bring a sacrifice. No, Jesus has been sacrificed for us and now we are the temple. We have full access to God's presence each and every day. So what are you doing with it? We're living in the last days. And that should be an encouragement to our hearts. And yes, the world is messed up. It will be in the last days. But see, this is not where the story ends. Because not only is the big idea that we're living in the last days, but we're also looking toward the last day. This is the hope with everything we're facing. You see, the world is full of conflict and division and corruption and violence and disease and disaster. It's a sign that God's redemptive work is not complete. He's begun his redemptive work, right? Spiritually, we've been raised from the dead, but physically we await that in the last day. We've been redeemed and rescued and saved, but we're still living in a world that's messed up. We await the deliverance in the last day. See, this is the hope that we have. It's good news that we're living in the last days, but man, we should look forward to the last Day, we should await the consummation of all God's redemptive purposes for his people. The fulfillment of all God's promises, we should long for that and look forward to that. And you know what? I believe that that day is coming soon. I believe Jesus will come again soon. Why do I believe that? 
Because that's what the Bible tells me. The end of Revelation, it ends by saying this. He who testifies to these things, who is Jesus, he says, yes, I am coming soon. Therefore, we as God's people who are living now in the last days, we should look forward to that last day. And we should say the very same thing that John said, who wrote the book of Revelation. He responded to this promise by saying, amen, I agree. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for just this opportunity to jump into a series that, yeah, it's so controversial and people have different opinions and it can um, sometimes even create problems, I know. And Lord, I was hesitant, uh, you know, when it came to the series, but I'm thankful that, Father, that we can really dive into the scriptures together and not say what Pastor Joe says, but what does the Bible say? That's what I want to know. That's what I think we all want to know. Father, I pray that people here would search the scriptures diligently to see if what I'm saying is true. Because we want to to be students of your word. We want to be people of the book. And so, Lord, help us to understand you more. Lord, we thank you that the blessing of your presence has been poured out upon us, that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, who teaches us, who guides us, who instructs us concerning your word. And Father, you've given your spirit in the book of Acts, we saw for a purpose. We're not people that should just sit around waiting for the end to come. No, we're people of action who've been mobilized to carry out the work of the gospel to all nations. We're living out the last days with a purpose, with a privilege, and so help us to see that. But Lord, help us not to be content with just the way that things are. Help us long for what is to come. Help us long for the last day because you who promised are faithful. You will deliver on all your promises. What your son Jesus inaugurated in his first arrival, this amazing redemption, he will consummate at his second arrival. And so help us, Father, people living in the last days, to long for and look forward to the last day. We wait here for you. We wait for your son. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.